Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. For the past several decades, interest rates, of course, have been incredibly low. They've been so low, in fact, that we've built just about everything on them. Our politics, our economy, our lives, so many other different things. And uh, currently, of course, we have inflation on the rise and raging and the Fed uh, trying to figure out uh, how to deal with monetary policy. And so are the, the days of low interest over and gone forever? Where are we? How did we get here? Where do we go next? Uh, we turn to our inside source, Megan McArdle, Washington Post columnist, one of the great thinkers on the planet, and uh, she joins us on the line. Megan, thanks for getting on with us today. Thanks for having me. So uh, give us a little historical perspective. Give us a little bit of the journey of uh, interest rates and uh, how we got to where we are today. Well, if you were old enough to remember the 1970s, as I am, barely, I was a toddler, um, <laughs> You remember inflation. You remember, um, you know, my parents getting a, a nearly 20 percent interest rate on the apartment that they <laughs> refinanced in 1979. Um, and that was because inflation, after being low pretty much historically forever, um, at least in the United States, outside of the Civil War, the Revolutionary War, inflation had historically been pretty low. But um after World War II, it really starts uh, – it climbs a little bit in World War II. We get it back under control. And then in the 70s, it goes completely haywire. Um, so starting really around 1965, it starts to creep up. And by the 70s, you're in high single digits, low double digits, uh, the kind of inflation that we now associate with kind of emerging markets but not a developed Western economy. And in 1980, we get a new Fed share, actually 1979, but really he starts – uh, sort of cracking down on this runaway inflation, and that changes things. So inflation, interest rates had gone up. They're, they were not just going up in response to inflation, right? It wasn't just that they had gone up to compensate for the inflation that was already being experienced, but had gone up what we call real interest rates, inflation-adjusted interest rates, had gone up to compensate lenders for the risk that inflation might go up even higher, and it was hard to predict. Um, and so... You know, when you look at real interest rates around 1980, they're like 5%. Um, and then as Paul Volcker and then under Alan Greenspan, the Federal Reserve really gets inflation under control, becomes a credible steward of the monetary um, uh, policy again. And real interest rates start to drop. 
and they just keep dropping. There's this kind of low, long decline that goes from the 70s downward. And then starting in the financial crisis, they basically hit rock bottom. So, you know, we're looking at real interest rates of under 1%. In some European countries, negative real interest rates. We're really right. literally getting negative rate mortgages, right? And that has been a broad global phenomenon. Um, but it, it's not sustainable right. for obvious reasons. People don't like paying you. To, you know, a negative real interest rate means that people are essentially paying you to hold them to borrow their money. Which oh my gosh! Not a long-term sustainable plan. And so the problem is that we've all started to think of this as natural. It's gone on for so long. Yeah. No one who's really an adult and in the housing market and so forth um, really remembers those old high mortgage rates really remember us paying really significant real interest, positive real interest rates on their debt. No one who is a steward of, 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 I shouldn't say that our president is 80, but most people, most of the staffers at treasury and most of the think tanks and so forth, they don't remember it either. And so we just kind of assume this is like the natural course of things, but it's contributed to everything from the fact that there's so much, uh, everyone's sitting on so much home equity. If you're a homeowner, well, that's because, you know, for decades, it kept getting cheaper and cheaper to borrow money, which meant that bar- buyers could borrow more money. They could pay you more up front. Um, federal debt is, is the same story. You know, the last time we really worried about it was in the 1990s, in the early 1990s. Yeah. Um, and we're going to have to relearn if this, if this stops and whether it stops, of course, depends on why you think this has happened. Economists don't agree. Um but if it were to reverse itself, we would have massive uh, dislocations. Even things like if you don't, you know, you probably don't think about Uber or Netflix as being about interest rates. But in fact, they come out of a, a, a Silicon Valley boom, right. a venture capital boom right. that is driven by how cheap money is. Yeah. So, so I want to take into a, a couple of things uh, real quick, Megan. There were there were so many facets in you, in your piece in the Washington Post uh, that does it, it talked about everything from the entrepreneurial sector where people are investing because it's cheap and it's easy and you can have access to cash. Uh, but I want to spend just a, a couple of minutes on how this has reshaped our politics. Uh, and you alluded to the fact that uh, neither Democrats or Republicans are are really good with the word restraint uh, when it comes to to spending. Uh, but tell us how the, how these low interest rates have shaped and how these rising interest rates may reshape some of these crucial conversations in Washington. Well, I mean, I think one way that we can see this already that we've seen with inflation, where it was pretty obvious to me, and I think to a lot of people, that there was going to be inflation if we kept pumping money into the economy during in, in the form of pandemic relief. Now, to be clear, I supported that pandemic relief. I thought it was necessary, for, especially at the beginning, for people to stay home and prevent the, the disease from spreading until we can get a handle on it. And, you know, my thought was if you're a small business owner and the government is wrecking your business, then we should compensate you for that. Um, similarly, if we're forcing you to stay, if we're basically forcing you into unemployment, then the government should make sure that you're okay. Um, but looking at that, looking at especially, you know, when the Biden administration came in, they wanted to write checks so that they would be as generous as Trump. Um, it was just clear that you were going to have too much money chasing too few goods, right? The, the supply of goods in the economy wasn't getting any bigger, just the supply of money. And that's indeed what happened. But when you talked to staffers about that, especially younger people, when you talk to journalists, when you talk to think tankers, 
they just kind of couldn't wrap their brain around it. It just sounded like your your old fogey uncle complaining about the United States going off the gold standard. Yeah. <laughs> get um, off my lawn. Yeah. And exactly, get off my lawn, kids. And they sort of roll their eyes and like you don't, you old people don't get it. You don't understand how the economy works. And there was this whole, you know, kind of snake oil uh, school of economic thought called modern monetary theory that sort of sprang up to justify this. And then the inflation happened. And everyone was surprised. And I think you're going to see something similar potentially with debt. Yes. Where, you know, when you say to people, look, the risk is not, look, our interest rates are low now, but that's not a, that's not a flaw of nature. Our interest rates are low in part because of these global trends that are making interest rates low to every credible Western rich country. Um, but also because we're trustworthy with our currency. We're trustworthy with our debt. We don't inflate away the value of our debt. And we don't borrow so much money that we won't be able to repay it or won't be left with any choice with no choice except <laughs> to inflate away the value of our debt. Right, right. And and the thing is, you know, that's that's something that we we make happen. We earn that credibility mm-hmm. and it can go away. And so I think that this is a real live problem now with, with the Biden administration. Um, you know, the, the student loan program is a perfect example. With a stroke of a pen, probably not legally, um, he he basically somewhere between the the, pro, the the student loan relief that he has done is going to cost somewhere between six hundred billion dollars and a trillion dollars, depending on various you know what you think is going to happen um, in terms of moral hazard, in terms of people right. saying, "Oh, now I can borrow more debt." <laughs> right, right, uh, and and so. You know, what is the it's, it's crazy, right? Our national debt is already 100 percent of GDP. And this is not like an emergency. It's not something where this is desperately necessary. Most of these loans are small dollar loans. Um, the people who have big loans tend to come out of professional school and have a lot of good earning power in front of them, especially over a lifetime. Um, and they just do it because they don't feel like they have to think about the debt. They don't feel like they have to think about paying for stuff, paying for stuff. That's what no. old fashioned people do. <laughs> don't voters do that. don't like that. <laughs> right. Cause voters don't like it when you raise your taxes. Why would I do that when I can just borrow money? And the answer is that, yeah, sure. It's the, it's the same, you know, talking to a kid with a 0% intro credit card teaser rate. Right. Well, True. Right now you got a low rate, but that might not be true yeah. forever. Wait six months. And the thing about having exactly, and the thing about having so much debt right now is that we're in the position of one of those people who's really gone a little crazy with the credit cards, which is that even a small interest increase in our interest rate means you know every one percent increase in our interest rate means that we have to pay one percent of national income for and for reference. We, we now tax about 20% of national income. So it's, it's basically a 5% increase, a wow. 5% increase in anyone's, everyone's taxes every time interest rates rise 1%. Oh. Um, you know, these are, these are serious numbers, and people don't feel like they have to get serious about them because it has been so long since they did. Yeah. Uh, great insight, as always. Megan McArdles, Washington Post columnist, uh, one of our great thinkers, and uh, we always appreciate your perspective. This is one we're going to continue to track because it's going to continue – uh, to drive behavior, and I think there is going to be this snapback effect uh, in Washington. At some point, uh, an adult will enter the room, and we'll have a very different conversation. And I'm not sure where that person is coming from, Megan. It may have to be you. Uh, so fate of the free world is in your hands. <laughs> but thanks for joining us, Megan. Uh, I'm afraid we're in trouble. Then, but... <laughs> uh, Megan, thanks again. For-
for joining us. We'll have you back real soon. Love the conversation. We'll go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, more crucial conversations. We're going to talk about suicide prevention, uh, what comes next. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.